Welcome to Beyond the Dollar with me, Sarah Lee Kane, where we have deep and honest conversations about how money affects your well-being. This is a mid-season special bonus episode, so a little bit different from our usual format. Don't worry, we'll be back with our regular episodes in a few short weeks. In this episode, we're talking about the theme of resiliency and how that can translate to your financial life and beyond. I've invited a few friends of the podcast to come on to chat about how they've moved through adversity and some of the lessons we all can learn. And some of these stories include having a home foreclosed on them, not being able to afford mortgages, going through a physical injury, and so much more. Now get ready, grab a seat, and let's go beyond the dollar. Hey everyone, so I've noticed that throughout this season so far, all of my guests have been, I'd say what you call resilient. This theme just keeps popping up again and again, to be honest. Like something comes at them, whether it's like this major life transition, like a divorce, or they're grieving a loved one, or it's just a really sad time that they're going through, or they're literally like slapped in the face with some sort of uncertainty, like losing a job for no reason. And despite all that, they have figured something out and have worked through it and come onto the side to, I guess, a version of their new normal. So now if you're going through something, I don't want to say, oh yeah, rah, rah, you're going to get through it. It'll be fine. I'm certainly not trying to say that. But what I do want to say is that the lessons that have, again, come from these stories is that humans are resilient and you are resilient and that there's a way to move through it, whatever that is for you, right? And again, just to reiterate, these stories and what you're going to hear is not to say that they figured out right away. These guests of mine have figured out right away. Sometimes we do need to grieve, right? For the future, for the past, and our expectations of what could have happened in the future. Maybe you're expecting some jobs to line up and then all of a sudden it they decided to cancel the contract. So you're grieving for the future income, you're grieving for the expectation that you're going to do this job, right? And all of that. So let me just give you a quick example. So a past guest, Charis of episode 66, was someone who was very physically able and they wanted to be someone who was nomadic, right? Going from city to city, kind of slow travel, if you will. Now, guess what? Charis ended up on disability and now they're living below the poverty level. Despite that, Charis was still able to buy a home, which is a crazy feat for most people. And they did that so they weren't forced on the streets due to rising rent prices, which is can be pretty scary if you're on a fixed income because you have only so much to budget. And so if a variable kind of goes up, right, you're gonna have to figure out, well, how are you gonna get to this? And so Charis was at the point where it was like, okay, do I choose between food, rent, kind of all those basic life necessities? So that's just a quick example. Okay, enough of me blabbing on. Let's start with the first clip of someone who was dealing with a situation that did involve their mortgage and it forced them to look at their financial situation. So it is a friend of mine, friend of the podcast. His name is Andy Hill. If you've stuck around with Beyond the Dollar for a while, you may have heard him on episode 17. 
back when my friend Garrett and I were co-hosting the podcast. So I encourage you to check that one out. It's about dealing with money with your spouse. But in this particular one, Andy is talking about buying a home that he couldn't afford. He realized, oh gosh, I couldn't afford this house. What am I going to do? So here it is. This is Andy Hill from the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast. Back in 2004, I bought a house because I thought that was what you're supposed to do. You know, you buy a house and, and then you're then you're a real adult, right? So I bought this house 2004 for about $200,000. And I quickly realized that once I owned the house, I definitely could not afford the payments. <laughs> this is back when they were giving mortgages to anybody, I guess. And it quickly ate up at least 50% of my income between the mortgage and all the bills. And, and then I decided to take another job. And that just made it worse because I took a pay cut with this job that I thought would give me a little bit more freedom. So I ended up being in a really tough spot with this mortgage and it kind of made me hate home ownership for a little while. But the bright side is that I realized that I owned a home and there was lots of space in it for me to get some help in paying it. So I ended up uh, taking on a few roommates from roommates.com and Craigslist. And not only did that help me pay my mortgage, uh, the, the entirety of it really, but I made some great friends. I ended up creating some friendships that I never even thought were possible. And some of them I, you know, I'm still friends with today good friends now almost 15 years later and I've stood up in some of their weddings and it's just been uh it's been great. So yeah, that was one one spot where I thought I was in a really tough spot and we adapted. We figured it out and and it worked out. So I hope that helps. All right. So what I love about this is that he was like, "Okay, I'm going to get creative." So instead of freaking out, I'm going to assume he did freak out, but eventually he figured it away was, right? He went on Craigslist, he went at roommates.com. And the cool byproduct of that was that he found some roommates for life. So not only was he able to afford the home, but there were some nice perks on top of it. So if you're facing a situation where you're finding it hard to pay the bills or you're really struggling in terms of affording certain things, I encourage you to get really creative. Maybe you can find some roommates like Andy did or if you have credit card bills or personal loans or something, and you again, you're really struggling, call your loan company and see what they can do. You cannot believe the amount of times that I've heard people do this and that they've gotten some sort of relief. Now, I'm not saying it's 100% guaranteed because again, I don't know your individual situation. I don't know the company that you are working with. So, But I encourage you to try to at least call them and see what that is, or get some creative ways to make money. So next up is a new friend of the podcast, and her name is Ashley. So she was formerly in the Navy, and she's now a real estate investor, and she's be going to a nursing program in Yale. So her story talks about while she was in college, and she was in a specialized program. And in her words, to get through this program, it's actually designed to mess with your head to see how you move through adversity. So here it is. Hello, my name is Ashley Evans, and I am a recent Navy veteran and a soon-to-be nursing student. And this story is about my time in the Navy's Power School Program or the Navy Nuclear Power Training Command. The Navy's nuclear program was started by this guy named Rick Over. And Rickover believed that in order to truly and accurately assess if a student was worthy of being in 
power school, you had to stress him out to the max ability that you were. And then you had to see how he performed under that max level of stress. So for that reason, it's known as the BUDS, which is the training program for Navy SEALs. It's called the mental BUDS or the BUDS of the mind. And the way that they stress you out is by playing these little mind games. So your grades are public. You have about, you're constantly reading and then you're analyzed on how well you retain information in a short period of time. So you read about, I think it's either 400 or 600 pages, and then you have two to three weeks to memorize about 100 pages to 150 pages for that week, and then you're tested on it. And it's little things like that. If your grades start to slip, you have Mando 25s, which is on top of your full-time course load, which is about 40 hours a week. If your GPA falls below a certain point, you have to study another 25 hours on top of that. And I know that sounds minuscule, but this information is classified. So you cannot study at home. You cannot bring your materials home. You have to stay in the building and study. So um, what ended up happening is I, as I started this program, I slowly but surely started to drop, I guess. I don't really know how to describe it, but I noticed over time that I wasn't sleeping as much. And then I would take melatonin and then I would wake up groggy. So I would drink coffee and slowly but surely I was building up this level of panic and anxiety and this like self-defeating attitude that I just couldn't shake. And of course that led to my grades dropping further and then I would be on Mando 25. So now I'm not sleeping even more. Like, um, so, you know, now my sleep cycle is really messed up. So now I'm having a glass of wine because wine puts you to sleep, but wine also, um, interrupts your sleeping cycle. And it really, it just, it gets out of control really fast. And what happened is one day I just, I had this test in, uh, reactor dynamics and I just blanked out. I just completely blacked out. I remember seeing the pink paper. I remember seeing the black lines across the pink paper. Our tests are a different color so that you know it's a test. I remember someone talking to me after the test and I just, I couldn't understand what he was saying. I couldn't understand what the words were. I just could not comprehend what was going on around me. I just blacked out. So um, I ended up rolling, which means you go into the class that is going to graduate after you. So basically gives you eight weeks of kind of decompression time. It started off okay. And then slowly but surely the same thing started to happen where it was just, I would have these panic attacks and it would get to the point where I would find myself like crying as I passed through the security gate. And then I was just, I was almost just inconsolable going up the stairs because all of our classes were on the third floor. So the very final last kind of mind game that they play at power school is that if you are not sure if you're going to graduate, if you are kind of borderline, which is a 2.0, if you're hanging around that 2.0 GPA, graduation and your PCS all happen within the same week of your final. So if you don't know if you're going to graduate, you also don't know if you're going to PCS and you don't know if you're going to pass. So I was, that was me. I was in that boat. And um, because everything was happening in the same week, I had already packed out my house because I had orders to prototype, which was in Saratoga Springs. And my parents were already in South Carolina because 
you know, you plan like you're going to graduate until you're told you're not going to graduate. And I didn't graduate. I failed out of nuclear power school and my parents were there. The Packers were, you know, the Packers packed out of my house. And from the outside looking in, it almost seemed like a catastrophe, right? Like my parents and everybody around me, my community, my everyone kind of watched me kind of descend into just like disintegrate while I was in this school, all for it to culminate into failing out over this six month period publicly. Like my parents watched as I came back and said, hey, I'm so sorry that you flew here from Mississippi and Texas, but I'm not graduating. Um, I didn't pass. But on the inside, I felt this freedom this weight off of my chest. I, I felt like I literally missed a golden bullet or that I had bought back my life, but I didn't know how to articulate that. It's weird to say that you're happy because you failed. So I couldn't articulate that. So what I did was I had bought a tax lien in Atlanta a couple years prior in 2015. I was able to start rehabbing this abandoned property. The owner had died and hadn't left it to anyone. So of course there was no one to pay the taxes and I ended up getting custody of it. So I failed out of nuclear power school in December, 2016. I had used my VA to buy a house in uh, Goose Creek, South Carolina, which is where power school was. And then I immediately set out to work on this house in Atlanta. And one of the first things that I did took out this 13.5% interest loan for $20,000. And that was my down payment to start the construction on this you know, house. And it was a complete gut job. Um, we ended up putting about $60,000 into it when it was all said and done. And I was ecstatic because after being in this school and not being being able to portray how I felt and having an outlet where I could kind of articulate who I saw myself was, I was able to take that energy and take how I wanted to express myself and I put it into a house. You know, I was able to control my life in a way that you weren't that I wasn't able to control as a nuclear power student. You know, I wanted gray walls, I got gray walls. I wanted to keep my hardwood floors, the original hardwood floors, and I kept my hardwood floors. And it just really gave me a project that I could express myself in a way that I couldn't. So it took about maybe five or six months. The house was done by March and it was rented out by May. And that's when I slowly but surely learned to be a landlord. And even that kind of gave me more of an outlet to grow into, you know, this kind of business owner or this real estate investor and kind of landlord do I want to be? Like, what kind of rules do I want to set down? I had to learn how to work with a property manager. And slowly but surely, I started to gain this confidence that I had really lost while I was in nuclear power school. Had it not been been for nuclear power school, I don't think I would have had the real motivation or the impetus to throw myself into real estate and kind of, you know, take out a 13.5% interest rate on a $20,000 loan which has now paid off, but I, I don't think things did end up happening had it not been for that school. So if you have listened to this thus far, know that sometimes the, the darkest moments in life and the worst things um, that we go through are more of a setup than a setback. You really just have to kind of look at the springboard and the obstacle that allows you to turn it into an opportunity. So no matter how bad things get, and sometimes they get really, really, really bad, 
I promise you, I know maybe there is a silver lining in that gray sky. What I find particularly striking about this story is that something that seemingly was bad or tragic became a silver lining. So I personally think back to things that haven't happened or worked out for me, and it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. So think back to some of the things that you've gone through, and I encourage you to think, okay, well, what if this hadn't happened? Would I be stuck somewhere or doing something that I wasn't going to be happy about? And I, again, I loved how Ashley used her feelings or her lack of, I guess, ability to articulate what she was feeling and found some way to control her situation, right? Because I think a lot of us, when we are going through something really tragic or that we feel like it's something really devastating in our lives, we feel like we're out of control. And so it can be anything small. It doesn't have to be like buying a house and remodeling it, but it can be even something as simple as like sitting down and breathing for a few minutes and then recentering yourself or at least kind of be more calm than you before or kind of removing yourself from the anxiety of what you're feeling and then find a small step. It can be like any little small step that you can do to regain some sort of sense of control and then just keep moving forward. So next up is Bader, new friend of the podcast as well. He's the host of the Short Box podcast. And I love this story. It's just a really simple story of being scared for asking about money. All right, here it is. Hey, Beyond the Dollar podcast. This is Botter Milligan, the host of Jacksonville Floor's premier comic book and pop culture podcast, The Short Box. Chiming in for this episode to share my story about a moment of financial concern and how I overcame it. It's related to the podcast and how I was a nervous wreck prior to launching our Patreon page in the summer of 2019. For those unfamiliar, Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to make income by providing a subscription-based content service directly to supporters. The Shortbox Podcast has been releasing episodes since its inception in late 2012. All of our content up to that point was free, regardless if it was a bonus episode or additional content like video. Fast forward to 2019, where we established our brand and captured the listenership of a sizable audience. It was taking much more effort, time, and even expenses to keep our normal operation running. Pursuing a Patreon page meant the possibility of offsetting the costs of equipment, hosting, and other operational expenses without having to rely on a sponsor. We could offer interested listeners who chose to sign up with incentives like access to bonus episodes, unreleased interviews, and exclusive merchandise. Everything seemed pretty straightforward, and we even had longtime listeners at that time that wanted a means to support the show. The hurdle I had to overcome was a self-placed mental blockade I put up that made me feel uncomfortable asking our listeners for financial support. It was a case of imposter syndrome. What made me think I was official enough to ask people to support something that started as a passion hobby? Why did I think my show, which was always free, was suddenly good enough to ask for even a dollar, our lowest subscription tier available? I grappled with feelings of exaggerated thoughts that this would mean the end of the podcast if the Patreon campaign was a failure and could potentially ruin our image long-term or sour our relationship with the fans by asking for a handout. I didn't want people to think we sold out or only became money-centric. That wasn't the case at all, but it took me weeks of internal debate and reflection with not only myself, but with my co-hosts, friends, and even listeners to finally press publish on something that honestly should have taken an hour or two at the most. You know what happened after I finally launched our Patreon page and started promoting it and being honest with our listeners? People signed up. 
Listeners from across the country happily signed up to support us and contribute actual money to ensure we kept creating content and, of course, to enjoy all the perks we were offering for their contributions. This whole incident helped me learn to trust in my craft and ability, to trust in my intentions, and more importantly, to trust our fan base by being honest with them. This is my favorite lesson in the eight years I've been creating podcasts, and I hope it's something that will resonate. Thanks for the opportunity, Sarah, and thank you for your time, Beyond the Dollar listeners. So that question, who am I to ask for money, is such a common conversation. I think people who are self-employed or own their own business have in their heads. And so something as simple, like Bader said, a dollar a month for a Patreon subscription or donation was a big deal to him. Like It was really scary for him to even ask for that. Whereas in the grand scheme of things, a dollar isn't quite a lot of money, right? Now, during times of uncertainty or when you're pivoting or even during things like a recession and you feel like, oh, well, my service or product doesn't have a lot of value. It's not like basic necessities. Who am I to start selling this? Maybe I should pivot to something completely different. Now, if you're feeling that way, or if you're feeling really nervous to ask for more money in general, let's say you're trying to pitch a client, it's okay. Things have value, right? Just because you don't believe that it has value doesn't mean someone doesn't think it does, right? So, I mean, art is kind of a big one where people think, oh, well, it's just art. I'm an artist. How can I charge for this? And yes, I can understand that. A lot of things may not have the same value as, let's say, buying a loaf of bread. But if you think about comparing to art, but a lot of people find art to be extremely valuable. I mean, times when you're stressed, people listen to music, times when people just want like a break or a bit of escapism from their lives. They like to look at artwork or listen to comedy or podcasts like this one. Like There is nothing wrong with providing that value to people. So I encourage you that if you're scared to ask for more money or money in general for what venture you're doing, just think that and believe that if your product and service is good, someone's going to want to pay for it. All right, next up, another friend of the podcast. She has also been on before, Lindsay Bride Podvin. She was on episode 48 talking about financial therapy. Great episode. I highly encourage you to listen to that. Her story is about the time when she got a scholarship and she almost gave it back. Hey, I'm Lindsay Bryan Podvin. I'm the host of the Mind Money Balance podcast. When Sarah gave us this little cue to talk about resilience, I thought of a pivotal moment for me that now seems like it was a lifetime ago and also seems very small which just goes to show that the things that we often worry about being a really big deal often are just little specks when we look back on them. So what I'd like to share with everyone is a time when I was a senior in college and I had gotten myself a nice scholarship as a sociology undergrad. And the scholarship meant that I had to do some research and push out a paper on a topic of my choosing. And so I'd been working on it on and off all year and it was my senior year. So as senior year kind of got closer and closer to wrapping up, I found myself doing what a lot of seniors do, which was nothing, (laughs) right? So I was enjoying much more the social aspects of things and much less the academic aspects of things. And 
I suddenly realized that there was no way I was going to be able to finish this project on time. And so I went to my advisor basically in tears, not basically, no, I was definitely in tears and essentially said, look, like I'll give back the scholarship money. There's no way that I can do this. I totally messed up and on and on. And the additional backstory here is that I am, I don't know that perfectionist is the right word, but if I do something, I want to know that I do it well, which probably goes to explain why I tried a million and one different things as a kid. And if I wasn't great at it right off the bat, I would quit. So just a quick example of things that I tried and quit shortly thereafter include karate, cello, tennis, basketball, volleyball. Those are just a little sampling of things. And I'm sure there are more along the way. But so anyway, you know, as a 21 year old, I had all of this history of if I'm not good at something, I will stop doing it. And that is how I would cope. Because if you don't follow through on something, then you can't fail. And that was the mentality I had. So coming back to sitting in my advisor's office, being in tears, holding the few pages of research in my hands, knowing that I couldn't do it. There was no possible way. And he just calmly said to me directly, Lindsay, you can finish it and you will. You will not be giving the money back. And I know those words sound really simple. And I'd probably heard versions of those exact same words at many other times in my life. But for whatever reason, my mind and heart were open at that point in time to actually hear them. And that totally shifted how I approach problems. So I did finish. I finished that research project. I was able to put it out into the world and I felt really good about the work that I had done. And now I, I come back to that moment often when I find myself feeling like I'm hitting a wall or like something's going to be too hard. I come back to that moment and I just tell myself, you can and you will. And it doesn't always work, but it usually does. So I hope that helps you work through whatever it is you're experiencing in your life right now. And thanks again, Sarah, for this beautiful prompt. That was a great clip. I think it's one of my favorite ones. Actually, honestly, all of them are favorite ones. What I particularly love is that really simple thing that her professor told her and that she refers to that nice, simple thing time and time again. And so for some people, they have quotes that they put on the wall to remind themselves, to center themselves, or they have a bracelet of an affirmation, or just something to remind them that when they're going through something tough, that they can kind of go back and recenter. So fun fact for me, I bought a, a large picture frame to hang in my home office because I wanted like a nice quote to you know, look at when I'm feeling really stressed out about work. And so I had all these ideas of what I was going to put up. And what had happened was then my son walks in and he decided to draw a picture. So he drew a picture of myself, my husband and him, and he wrote our names down on it. And he grabbed a piece of tape and he put it up on the wall and then he walks out. And so I looked at that paper and I thought, okay, that is what I'm going to frame because that is who I'm working for. This career of mine is for me. It's also for my family and their well-being. And so whenever I do feel stressed and I need some time to kind of recenter or reassess, I look at it. I'm actually looking at it right now. <laughs> All right. So next clip is from my friend 
Dustin, and I'm actually a guest on his podcast, The Successfully Unemployed Podcast. So I'll put that link in the show notes so you can check that out. It's just my story of how I quit my teaching job and transitioned to freelance writing. Some of you may already know the story. If not, feel free to check that episode out. So back to Dustin. This was a time when he was laid off from what he thought was a very stable job with the government and how he reacted to it. I want to share with you a story about how I realized what my worth was, my actual value in myself was. So after my wife had our fourth child, and then I took paternity leave from my job, I had just a normal job. I did IT work at the county government. So I was off for a week, maybe two weeks or something like that. And as I'm back at work for about a week, Friday rolled around. Well, at Friday, at about 3.30 in the afternoon, I get a phone call. The phone calls from my boss's 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 secretary. So I'm sitting there and she says on the phone, hey, Dustin, would you please come to the boss's 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 office? He wants to see you. And I say, okay. And I hang up the phone and then I pause for a second. I'm like, what in the world could they be calling me about? Like, what would he want to see? I haven't been back long enough to really have anything go bad or really good. Like, what what could it be? So I get up. I start walking down the hallway, and as I turn the corner, I start, my, my, I guess my mind just starts racing more and more. I start thinking about a couple rumors that were just random. I heard that there were some rumblings about possible layoffs, that the county government didn't have enough money and they needed to do some layoffs. And I thought to myself, man, no, that can't be me. I have plenty of seniority. No. Okay. And I kept walking. But as I started walking down this long hallway, even though it wasn't really that long. It felt really, really long. And as I got closer, my feet felt like lead bricks. Like they were literally lead shoes that I got. It was so hard to take that next step because even though I had seniority, even though I had a lot of potential to not get laid off, the thought hit me. What if this is the time where I get laid off? What if this is the time where I can't provide for my family? So I turn the corner and I see my boss's secretary. She's looking at me and she sheepishly says, Dustin, would you please have a seat? And she's looking at me with these consoling eyes. Like she knows what's going to happen. She's looking at me and trying to tell me, Hey, this is going to happen, but I don't know what's going on. She obviously knows what's going on, but she is consoling in her words. And I, I sit down and as I sit down, the doors close to my boss's office and I hear some talking, but I don't hear, I can't even tell what's going on. But as I sit there, the longer that I sit there, I start to sweat. I start to really get concerned about, oh my goodness, what's going to happen if this is the time that I get laid off? I started thinking, am I a failure as a husband? Am I a failure as a dad? Am I a failure as just a man? Like all this time that I've been working at this job, trying to, you know, go up the career ladder and all that sort of stuff. Now it's literally going to be taken all away from me. And then the door opens up to my boss's office. And out walks a lady with a piece of paper in her hands, and she's noticeably distraught. She's noticeably upset. She's not crying, but you can tell that her world has been rocked. And then my boss says, Dustin, would you please come into my office? So I stand up and I walk into the office, and he gives me a piece of paper. He says, Dustin, we have to lay you off. I realized then and there, my goodness, everything that I've built and worked for 10, 13, 15 years towards getting a career at this place was now destroyed. It was all for nothing. Even though I got a little bit of money, in the meantime, it was all for nothing. 
And as I'm walking back to my desk, I'm sulking, I'm upset, I'm just so distraught. And then I'm realizing, how in the world am I going to provide for my wife? How am I going to put food in the mouths of my four kids, my brand new baby that was just born? How am I going to make sure we have a roof over our heads? So I get back to my desk and I sit there and I give myself five minutes. I say, okay, Dustin, you have five minutes to feel bad for yourself. All that stuff you went through, you only have five minutes. And then once you're done sulking, you get up and you make sure this never happens again. So what I did was I realized I needed two different things in my life. Number one, to never let this happen to me again. Figure out a way to never let this happen to me again. Number two, the other thing was to find a way to provide for my family. So the second thing I jumped on very, very quickly, I started calling every single department in the county, in the government there. I started calling everywhere. Anybody I've ever had any dealing with, my job now was to find a job. Well, praise the Lord, within three days, I got offered another job at another department, same seniority, same pay, same everything. And I was blessed to be able to have money to provide for my family. So if right then and there, I realized that I am no longer somebody that puts my value in my job. See, most people say, Hey, Dustin, what do you do? Or like, you know, basically, what's your value? What do you give yourself in value? And I usually say, oh, I work for the IT in the county government here. This is what I do. That's not your value. Your value is not in your job. So everybody listening to this, I want you to realize your value is not from your job. It's from yourself, who you are on the inside. It's from your God. It's from your family, from the people that love you and you love. That's where you get your value. And so what I decided to do was, instead of ever telling anybody else what I do for a, a job, the J-O-B, that just overbroke job, I, that day, became an investor in real estate because I've always wanted to do real estate. I, I bought a little bit here and there and I kind of dabbled in it, but I said, I'm never gonna let this happen to me again. The more rental properties that I buy, the more money that I make, and eventually I could quit my job. So now my value is in me being an investor. So from that day forward, I got my new job. I was able to provide for my family. But every waking moment, I put all my effort, obviously making sure I stay in and have a good job. I don't want to get fired. But I put every effort into being a full-time investor, buying property after property, telling people I'm an investor, basically letting everybody know that I'm an investor. And after, I want to say, nine years of buying properties, it was about six years I had enough money to replace my job, which was great. But it took me about nine years total before I had the guts to quit that W-2 job because it takes a lot of work out of you to um, actually quit that nine to five job, that security blanket of having that job. And if you remember that walk that I took down the hallway to get laid off, how I felt like my feet were lead bricks, well, the best walk ever was my last walk. When I finally quit my job, I felt like I was walking on clouds. I felt like everything was so perfect. I was quitting my job. I had money coming in because of the real estate rental properties that I had, and I will never let that happen to me again where somebody can dictate if I can provide for my wife, my amazing wife, and my four beautiful kids. I wanted to make sure that that never happened again, and I succeeded. So what I want everybody to know is that your value is in what you give yourself, not what other people give you. You have your own innate value in you, so you need to live into that. Trust yourself. Be working diligently. Whatever your value is in you, you want to go after that. So I am successfully unemployed because I worked hard to buy the next property. Worked hard again to buy the property after that. Sacrificed to buy the next property. But because of going through adversity, getting laid off, it made me make the conscious decision to never let this happen to me again. 
And now looking back, it's been three, four years of not working at the nine to five job that I will never have a job again. So I'm super pumped and I want to encourage you that your value is in what you give yourself. What I really love about his story was that, yes, he gave himself time to sulk, be angry, feel what he feels. And then he's like, okay, now what do I want? What are my new values? Because right for him, he places values on his job. And of course, I got shaken up and he had to reassess what that was. So if you place your value on something and then that goes away, what can you do now? Especially if you are the same as Dustin and put that on your job or your business or whatever it is, right? So for him, he knew I wanted to do two things and he was able to do them. And another thing that I love is like he's talking about, okay, I made my full-time job finding another job. Sounds really simple, but if you could hear the conviction in his voice, it was like, I'm just going to do this one thing and one thing only. And luckily for him, he did find something pretty quickly. For many of us, that might not be the case. But again, he was like, this is what I'm doing. And that's what I'm going to keep doing until I get what I need to get. And so I love that because I think when you are going through something where you're forced to kind of really pivot, it's really crucial to identify that one essential thing that you need to do. It can be like the simplest thing, like sending that email or walking down to the store and handing your resume, whatever that is, just keep doing it. And I think that's how we can build that resiliency is that looking through that, you know, for that really simple thing and moving forward. So next clip is from my good friend Jen Hempel from the Hero Dinero Matters podcast. She was also on the show before episode six, again with my ex-co-host and my friend Garrett Philman. So I encourage you to check that one out as well. Her story is just really amazing. She's a military wife. So for military wives out there who go through something similar, I salute you. And this is her story about having to deal with being separated from her husband for a while. Hola, this is Jen from the Her Dinero Matters podcast. And being a military spouse has countless of challenges, one of them being the family separations. You are never, ever fully prepared for when your spouse goes away and suddenly you're carrying the full load and everything on your shoulders. Like the first time my husband had to be away for a year. Yes, the first of others. <laughs> And we had just moved to a new place, so new, new life, new schools, and it was scary. We had been separated before, but not for this long. And to make it through, I knew I had to put my pride aside and be okay with asking for help. I didn't have to do it alone, nor would I be a burden on someone when I needed help. If you are like me that prides oneself on being independent, just remember that the saying that goes, be strong enough to stand alone, smart enough to know when you need help, and brave enough to ask for it. All right. Greatest lesson that has come from this clip is to ask for help. If you're going through something, don't be afraid to ask for help. Set that pride aside. There are so many people, and in my experience and a lot of people's experience, that are willing to step up to help. And humanity in general has always been kind. Yes, there's some selfish people and you know we're not going to get too much of the politics, but right there, there are instances where that has happened. But for the most part, you can definitely find people who are willing to step up and to help. 
And honestly, they're not going to ask for anything in return. And hopefully one day, you know, when you're in a better position, you can pay it forward. All right. Next story is from Mike Delgado. He works at Experian and he's also the host of the Level Up Leadership podcast as well as the Data Talk podcast. So pretty busy guy. This story is a little bit different, is not totally money related, but I thought it would be great to include. And it's the time when he broke his wrist during a bike accident and how that really shook him up mentally and how he worked through that. So just to preface, the audio may not be the highest quality that we normally have on this show. He had stepped up to the challenge of recording something for me quickly. And so he had recorded it on the phone. So you might hear a little bit of background noise, but nonetheless, I think this is a really good story. About, this is about six years ago, I was mountain biking out in Orange and I ended up this kind of not super technical, but it was technical to me, a downhill section. Anyways, I fell off and I broke my wrist. And anyways, I re- it required surgery. I had to have this titanium screw put into my wrist and took about two to three months to recover before I could ride my bike again. And man, what a bummer. Like I had worked so hard, like getting my cardio up, getting my leg strength up to the point where I could actually like climb these mountains and push myself really hard. And I was building up my confidence on certain sections. And then I had this injury and that injury like totally set me back because now I couldn't mountain bike. I was in a sling. All that work that I'd done, the mental work, the physical work, I had to like put it on hold for three months. And so let me just talk about the mental side because the mental side is probably the most difficult part about all of it. Because I had, when I had this injury, I began to be fearful of that section. So that, that technical section to me of going this downhill, this section that I had fallen down, like in my mind, I became fearful of it because I didn't want to fall down. Again. And so uh, I remember trying to visualize myself like at nighttime, I would like when I lay down to sleep, I started to visualize my whole mountain biking routine. So even though I couldn't like physically do the mountain biking routine, like in my mind, I was trying to visualize like my whole biking routine. And when I came in my mind, when I came to that section, like riding my bike, I was falling down. Isn't that crazy? Like in my mind, I was riding my bike, you know, climbing the mountains, doing all that. Like I was memorizing, you know, I had the whole trail like memorized, like all the turns and I'm going through it in my mind. And then I get to that section where I had fallen and the fear of falling was so strong that as I hit that section, I fell down again. And I had to focus and like replay that section again and again and again visualize myself going down that section and remembering what it felt like to actually do it successfully that mental confidence because i was so shaken from my fall and breaking my wrist and if i was not mentally prepared to do it, I probably would have fallen again. Fast forward through those three months, I get to the point where I can then go back to mountain biking. Doctor gave me thumbs up, went back to climbing, and there I was confronted with that section again. I just did it. And then I climbed up again and I did it again. And I climbed up again. I think I did it that first time I went out, I did it four times. I went back to that section to prove to myself that I could do this. And building up that mental confidence was like huge. So I wanted to share that story because that story deals with my fall. It deals with the injury 
and not be able to do my thing. And then kind of the mental work that it took me to get back to where I was. And it took time for me. And it took time and it took patience. And it wasn't fun. But I became mentally stronger after that whole experience because of the fall. And also, if you're going through a difficult time that has gotten you off course, that is delaying your progress on something, like this is what happens for all of us that have set goals. Like These are the moments, I don't want to be hokey, but that define us in the truest sense. Because now it's like, okay, what are you going to do? You have just encountered something difficult that is going to now it's a stumbling stone you're on the ground now what are you going to do how are you going to get back up how are you physically going to do it how are you mentally going to do it and like i said the mental part is sometimes the most difficult part like okay this is what i'm dealt with now i got to figure out how do i keep going so anyway, i want to just challenge you whatever it is you, you set a goal for yourself know that it's coming if you aren't already going through something it will come. And when it does come, like be prepared, like, okay, now I'm going to adjust so I can keep growing and keep learning because that's what we need to be doing. Wasn't that a great clip? I mean, what's so crazy is that when he was visualizing that bike ride, the part where he fell and had the accident, he was visualizing the accident over and over again. So it's kind of like re-traumatizing yourself. And so I think if you do go through something crazy in terms of finances or otherwise, I think we do tend to do that. We play this scenario over and over, get in our head, or we worry about the future and all the worst case scenarios. And it does mess with us, right? And what I really liked is how he turned that around by visualizing a better outcome. Now, I'm not saying you can go all woo-woo and be like, hey, I'm just going to visualize and throw a bunch of crystals around and tarot cards, and then that's that. Of course, there needs to be some sort of action and a willingness to kind of push to do certain things. But I think that visualizing and taking action, right, psyching yourself up and doing what you need to do can be really beneficial. So I challenge you to think about that, right? Like Mike said, Things may be good now, but you never know. Something's gonna happen, right? It might not be as catastrophic as breaking your risk or being scared of leaving your home like Andy or being laid off after coming back from paternity leave like Dustin, but something's gonna happen. All right, and speaking of something's gonna happen, Jessica Garbarino from Every Single Dollar graciously talked about the time during the Great Recession in the US, so about 2007, 2008, when she couldn't pay her mortgage and she was unemployed for a while and how she rebounded from that one. Hi, my name is Jessica Garbarino and I'm the host of the Every Single Dollar podcast. The year was 2011. Three years prior, I had lost my job and had finally gained gainful employment. But in 2011, things changed my family. My grandparents in South Florida were having health issues, and we realized that we couldn't leave them by themselves. So in 2011, I decided to move to Florida from Minnesota, and graciously, my employer allowed me to continue working with them on a contract basis. So I settled into life at South Florida, and all things seemed well until the hours started drying up, and basically my contract time ended. Now, you have to understand, South Florida in 2011 was still dealing with the recession, I remember moving into my grandparents' home and at least five to six houses were empty from foreclosure and people were still going through the foreclosure process. So 
I was nervous. I was very scared. I went to every recruiter I could find to look for work. And unfortunately, I couldn't find anything. So in August of 2011, I had to make a decision as to whether or not I was going to pay my car payment or my mortgage because I was still paying off debt at that time. And I realized I needed my car to get to interviews. So I stopped paying on my mortgage. Now, by October, November, I had gained employment again, but I was so far behind already on my mortgage payments. And of course, they've tacked on legal fees and late fees that there was no way I was going to be able to pay it back. I just I didn't have the funds that they needed immediately because they'd already started foreclosure process. So I went back to Minnesota and over Thanksgiving and my birthday, got to pack up my condo and put all my contents into storage. March 27th, 2012, the sheriff's sale happened on my home and my condo, which I had purchased for $109,500, was sold at auction for $35,000. This was a huge gut-wrenching punch to my stomach. I knew that the consequences of foreclosure were going to last at least seven years, and all of my confidence in money had deteriorated. But I kept moving forward, and I worked at my job. I rebuilt savings. I started aggressively paying down that debt that I had got rid of my car loan. And March 5th of 2015, I finally became 100% debt free. And since then, I'm now five years later, and I'm still completely debt free. And now as we are in this uncertain time with the coronavirus, I can tell you honestly that I no longer feel nervous or scared about money, no matter how bad the situation looks around me, because of what I went through during the Great Recession and that I know that I will come out on the other side and I will prosper and do well. And I know many of you will as well. So take my experience and know that we as human beings are very resilient and we can overcome many great obstacles in our lives. What I do wanna say quickly about this is that things happen and it can happen out of your control. and. Jessica's story and all of the other ones that have shown on this episode, I think really proves to you that if something happens and you've worked through it, you feel a lot stronger, or at least you feel more confident that you are capable of handling whatever comes your way. Okay. Again, I don't want to get too like, oh, rah, rah, optimistic, like, yeah, you can do it. But I do want to share that, again, whatever happens, there are ebbs and flows, right? There's good times and bad times. There are times when you'll have a lot of money coming in, or there's times when no money's coming in, or things may seem to be going well. And let's say you got a divorce or something like a death happens. You lost the biggest contract of your life, like something super devastating. When that happens and when you do work through it, you're kind of building the resiliency muscle, right? So if you're willing to be sit with it, to let yourself feel it, find the next smallest step that you can take, ask for help, believe that you have the capability to figure it out, and even finding some ways to gain that sense of control. I think that all of us here can do it, all right? So I hope that's a little bit encouraging to you if you are going through something or if you've gone through something, I hope that you can relate to some of these stories and what they've went through. And I would love to hear from you. Have you gone through a 
crazy money situation. How did you work through it? Let me know. My DMs are open on Instagram at beyond the dollar, or if you prefer email, hello at beyondthedollar.co. Next week is another special mid-season episode. We're going to recap some of the past guests that I've had on and some of the ways that they have been really resilient in their lives, financial or otherwise. And I'm going to give you some of the lessons we can learn from those stories and maybe some practical takeaways that we can gather from those stories. All right. So until next time, let me again, feedback's always welcome. Now, before I sign out, I do want to introduce to you a podcast, a little bit lighthearted, not money related, called Wine and Crime. So I'm going to put a little preview snippet of their episode. Encourage you to check them out if you're into that. Hey, true crime fans. Have you listened to Wine and Crime yet? We're a true crime comedy podcast hosted by three childhood friends who chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash our worst Minnesotan accents. Each week, us gals pick a true crime topic and pair it with a delicious wine before delving into the background and psychology behind the crime. Then we share and speculate wildly about a couple of bonkers cases related to the topic. Past episodes include necrophilia, cults, Crimes of passion, cruise ship disappearances, exorcisms gone wrong, all this over a bottle of wine, or let's be real, three. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Wine and Crime Pod, and check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. Cheers! Thank you so much for listening and on Beyond the Dollar. If you like what you heard, please share with a friend. It'll help share the mission of what we're trying to do, which is to have more deep and honest conversations about how money affects our well-being. So tag them on Instagram when I post up in the dollar or send them a link, whatever you want to do to spread the mission of what we're doing around here. Now, if you feel that putting money towards the things that really matter is a challenge for you, feel free to download the Value Space Spending Guide. So what it is, is you're gonna be able to gain clarity around what matters most to you in life, be able to name your most important values and how we can start putting money towards those things. So to download the value-based spending guide, go to beyondthedollar.co slash values. So thank you again for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode of Beyond the Dollar. By the way, thank you to Donovan Durant again for providing this awesome theme song.